welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. This is not a fairy tale we celebrate this time of year. As I've been studying through this month and we've been on the, um, I guess you could say a mini-series of Christmas songs, uh, I think sometimes, and I've said this jokingly, sometimes our songs throughout the years have created our theology, which is not always healthy or helpful, but um, this is not some movie that was written to, um, by Hallmark. Don't want to offend anybody, but we're celebrating the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's real, and as I've been studying, it's amazing how God knows what he's talking about and that he's sovereign and that um, he has a way of working things out. And so at this time of year, and I, I say this, and I, if you're tired of hearing it, that means according to what I read, uh, you're just now hearing it. When you communicate, if someone's tired of hearing it, that means they're just now hearing it. And so please hear this. I mean this honestly. I'm not going to look at my wife when I say this because sometimes I'm convicted. But we have one week until we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, all of our big parties and get-togethers are kind of over, the, the pre-Christmas festivities. All the church stuff is over, right? Let's um, take a deep breath, and I'm challenging you as parents, as families, as individuals to really celebrate the birth of Jesus this week. Think about it. Ponder meditate what it really is all about. I didn't say cancel Christmas Day with your family. Um, at the same time, um, cherish your families, cherish one another, spend time together, uh, watch good, wholesome Christmas movies together like It's a Wonderful Life. That was an interesting response. My wife has yet to see it through. 15 years of marriage, I can't get her to stay past 30 minutes in. But I tell her she's not as cultured as I am. She tells me she's watched it one time through, but I don't know that that actually happened. It's a long movie. Brooks is amazed that it's still in black and white. Why would you want to watch a movie in black and white? But... Um, no, seriously, spend time together. Don't forget why we're celebrating. And my desire, and I think our desire as Christians, is that you know the Jesus of Christmas and that you can really celebrate who he is, what he's done for you um, in the middle of the craziness. And so I'm challenging you to do that. I think about that. I, I had to get permission from the boss before I did what I'm about to do, but um, all these poinsettias up front are real. We have some fake ones in the 
foyer, but these are real. They're donated by uh, Taylor Patterson and Patterson Farms. And um, I did this last year, I believe, but I'd like to, at the end of service, not right now, um, if, if, you, if you lost someone um, to death this year or, or something, and I don't want to make a big deal and call people out, but um, if you've been widowed or if you've had a death in the family or um, you just feel like you deserve one, no, you, when, when the service is over today, feel free to come get one. And uh, please don't fight over them. I think there's about six, nine, 12, 12 right there. Uh, maybe some in the front. Are those real? 15. And so um, I'd like for you to have one. And uh, we'd like for you to have one. Water them. They, some of them seem to be a little thirsty. But um, enjoy them this week. And, and um, enjoy points. I like them. I got points that is all over my house, don't I? I bring them home every so often. And... Um, but uh, enjoy those, and, and God bless you. I know many of you have been through a lot this year, and Christmas is a difficult time for many people. And so uh, enjoy those, and um, pray for each other, encourage each other, send them a card, send people a text. You think about it, God puts them on your heart. Matthew chapter 2 today, we've sang this song already, We Three Kings. What a fun theological wealth of information in this song. Very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to fix all the wrong theology of this song first and foremost, and then we're going to dig into really what happened. Um, I don't know about you, but while you're turning there, people, I, I kind of have the opinion that all Christmas songs are about Jesus. See, I, I make the connection. People, what about Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer? What about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all those fun ones? I said, well, if there had been no Jesus, there had been no Christmas, so you wouldn't have these goofy songs either. So you tie them all back. They're all all right. So sing them all if you want to. We Three Kings, Matthew chapter 2. Would you stand as we honor God's word? This is true. This is a real story. It really happened a couple thousand years ago. And scripture is clear. Prophecies are fulfilled. And we celebrate today. Matthew 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. They were saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, or rising in the east, that'll fix some of your problems, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written by the prophet. He quotes Micah 5, chapter 5, verse 2. And thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least, thee the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privately or quietly called these wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And they heard the king. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down. They worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You pray with me. Father, we ask you to bless your word. God, I know this passage of scripture is quite familiar to most people who've been in church for any amount of time. I pray today you open our hearts and eyes to hear from you, to hear from your Holy Spirit, not just to read another Christmas story from scripture, but to make application in our hearts that we would, as believers, leave here closer to you today. And if there's a lost person here, someone who's never accepted you as their savior, I pray today they would see the truth confirmed in your word, confirmed by your Holy Spirit, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and that you are truly the only Savior that can save a man or woman from their sins. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I've already said, as you read through the Gospels and the narratives of the birth of Jesus, you'll see quickly that many prophecies are fulfilled. I've already mentioned that a few weeks ago, that there were over 330 prophecies, Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by the birth, life, and death of Jesus. Over 30 of those prophecies were fulfilled on one day. Over 30 Old Testament prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born was fulfilled on one day, and that's Good Friday. In Matthew chapter two, there are at least four messianic prophecies that are fulfilled just in this chapter. In Matthew chapter two, we see the confirmation of Micah 5.2 that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophet said 750 years before he was ever born. We also see in Matthew chapter two, not in our text today, but later, uh, the fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11, that he would be called out of Egypt. Our text actually leads to the calling out of Egypt, written hundreds of years before Jesus. Imagine the prophet writing something weird about him being called out of Egypt when it's um, Jesus born in Bethlehem to a man and a woman who were living in Nazareth. Where does Egypt come in? But it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. It was fulfilled of Jeremiah 31 that there would be weeping in Ramah or Ramah because of Herod's murder of all of the babies in the area two years and under. It was fulfilled. Also, we see Isaiah chapter 11 that Jesus would be from the root of the stem of Jesse. He would be a Nazarene. All of this coming to fulfillment in Matthew chapter 2. In this text today, we see what the, the songwriter referred to as the three kings. We three kings. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time fixing this problem, okay? But the song says from the very beginning, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. So in our text, we don't see anything about kings. We also don't see anything about three kings. We only see that there were three gifts, 
Therefore, traditionally, we think there might have been, well, let me, some people think there might have been three people. I'm going to convince you in a few minutes that there were far more than three of them who came in. Well, I might not convince you. you. Maybe you don't care. But I think there were more than three. There's also kind of a 5th and 600th century AD tradition of kings, royalty coming to visit. It's kind of a, a folk story, if you will. But there are, in fairness to the writer, I don't know him personally, but to the writer of We Three Kings, uh, there are prophetic scriptures about royalty coming and visiting. So we'll give them that. What we do know is that they were bearing gifts from afar. I want us to look at three truths about these, what we see in scripture. Most of your study Bibles will say uh, where there's wise men, but that, that just doesn't have a good ring to it, does it? We three wise men from, well, doesn't sound right. But you also see the word magi or magi. And so most of us are familiar with that. We're going to look at three truths about these wise men uh, in this text. We're going to look at their travel. We're going to look at the trouble that they caused. And then we're going to look at their treasures. First of all, in verse number one, it says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, which is important to understand that, there came wise men from the east. So what are, who are these wise men? The word magi or magi uh, kind of sounds like if there was a root word to magician other than magic, sounds like magic. History teaches us who these people were and where they were from. This is not something you'll probably have conversation over lunch with, but it's important to understand. And I really want, and I've said this both sermons the last two Sundays, as we read through this, there's an overarching umbrella of truth when we think about God's sovereignty and God's providence. Don't miss it when we read the narratives of Jesus' birth in the Gospels. God really does know what he's doing. God really does have a plan. These things are not just coincidence. And um, wow, what, a, what an odd way for things to happen. And you say, well, how does that relate to me? And please make this practical in our lives. Sometimes things just don't seem like they're making sense. But God has a plan. And God will work his plan according to his will. And nothing happens by accident. We get in a deep conversation about, well, what if I'm just stupid and mess up? Well, I think this might hurt your feelings, but God knows we're stupid sometimes and are going to mess up. And when we're stupid and make dumb decisions, he doesn't go, I didn't expect him to do that. He has a plan for it. And he will work all things according to his purpose and his plan for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. So don't miss God's miraculous sovereignty intricately involved in the details of the birth of Jesus. These magicians or astrologers were interesting people. It'd be fun to meet them. I think practically uh, it's really, anybody ever heard that history repeats itself? They, these people were really a, um, a conglomerate of all kinds of religious beliefs. They, they were astrologers slash astronomers. They were sorcerers. That's a word that's used uh, a time or two in Daniel. 
but they were most likely uh, from the area of Persia or Babylon or Babylonia, and they mixed uh, an Eastern uh, religion of, here's the fun one, Zoroastrianism. They're, 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 um, they were, they're an interesting group, and, and some of you will check out, what, so I'm going to just kind of measure how much I say about this, but I know too much about them right now. They, they, um, they were monotheistic, which means something. They believed there was only one God, but then they believed of a lot of other crazy stuff too. And they would, it was kind of a mystical religion. And um, they, they followed a guy that rode a horse and um, carried a sword. And when he would defeat his opponent, he would slash a Z into... No, the, rest of, the rest of that, is, it is Zoroastrianism, but it's not Zoro. <laughs> Seeing how many people were paying attention there. It's funny how the wave of laughter kind of started with the sharper people over here and then it ended up over, oh, now he's joking. No, but they were interesting. They practiced astrology, uh, black magic, and they mixed all this together into a religion. They followed a guy and it's from the earliest 6th century BC that this was going on. So this would be somewhat appropriate. Now, what's interesting is the question starts to arise, how did, they, how did they put two and two together? And I don't have all the answers, but I do know that God has a plan and that the Old Testament prophetic scriptures, the Messianic text, would have been in their area. They would have had access to knowledge about this. Now, you, you, you can play along if you want, but if I hadn't said it yet, God knows what he's doing. And hundreds of years before, the Jewish people were taken into captivity, and they were taken into captivity by Babylon and Persia, Assyria. You remember Daniel? Daniel had a pretty big role in this. Daniel was called on uh, in Daniel chapter 2 uh, in reference to Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And the king commanded and to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. This is, this, this is those types of people. The, the plurals magos used only one other time in Acts when Paul talked about the sorcerer by the name of Elimus. The interesting thing is, is um, later in Daniel chapter 5, they were saying to King Belshazzar, there's a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of other gods was found in him. And they were referring to when Daniel um, foretold or read the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and they're saying, hey, there's a guy there that could do things that the magicians and the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers could not. And so you see Hundreds of years before this, this is going on. Daniel and other Jews are being held captive. These are men who would have known the scriptures and had the scriptures. And so these wise men, these uh, magi, if you will, would have been very smart. They would have been very knowledgeable. They would have had access to a lot of information. And now they're making, uh, doing a lot of math following the stars. Now, I, I know, and I'm, I'm careful how I say some of this, but I believe God created 
the heavens and the earth. Now, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to step out too far and blow some of your minds like you check out on me. But I also believe God can do what he wants to do. And I, I have read, and I'm not going to go into detail, and you can read stories, true stories of missionaries who go into unreached people groups and they have established in a religion. They have established monotheistic religions. And many times they have sorcerers and they practice witchcraft, but yet they know there's a God. And oftentimes it's from reading the stars. I'll just leave it there. But I believe God created everything we see, every star, even though we don't even know the numbers of the stars. And every time the scientist thinks they've got a good hold on it, they find a whole nother group of them. And I believe that's the God we serve. Who were these wise men? They were astrologers, sorcerers, witchcraft, but yet they were religious. What were they following? This is always a fun conversation. It says we've seen his star rising in the east and are come to worship him. Now, could they have possibly known some of the Old Testament passages? Could they have known about Numbers 24 where uh, I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Maybe. The song says star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, goddess, to thy perfect light. As astrologers, they would have noticed this star in the sky. I'm not here to, maybe, maybe I am here just to pique your interest. But it really doesn't matter the true answer. But the question is, was this a star? Was this a was this multiple stars that joined together? There's a movie out. We'd like to watch it at Christmas time called The Star. All right. We haven't watched it yet, but I think it'll probably be on the list, The Star. And, and basically, there is a phenomenon that scientists say, of course, it comes somewhere around 0 B.C., A.D., and um, where three stars adjoined, and it was potentially the star that the wise men followed. I like it. It sounds great. And it confirms what we think we know. The reality is this word really just means supernatural light. It's used often as star, as in a star in the sky, but it, it speaks of radiance. It speaks of a bright light. It could, it could also, and there's a lot of connection maybe to God's light, his Shekinah glory. The reality is this was a bright light, a miraculous light that God placed in the sky for these men to follow. You say, well, that didn't sound as fun as a star and they got out their map or they went into a planetarium and right on it. But the reality is it says that the scripture says that there would be a light, a star, same word, coming out of Jacob, representing the king. In Isaiah chapter 60, this is interesting, Isaiah is now in chapter 60 prophesying the second coming of Jesus, and he talks about this star and who Jesus is, represented, represented by the glory of the Lord uh, and the, the, the shining light. 
Verse two, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness for the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Verse three says the Gentiles shall come to thy light. The reality is these wise men were Gentiles. They were not Jews. And God is calling the Gentiles at this point to it. And maybe this will come into play here later. So they traveled. We know who they are. They, we know how they got there. Now, I've got to say this. The reality is, if it's a star, it went out and came back, according to Scripture. So we know, here's what I want us to leave here, if it's a Bible Jeopardy question later, is we know it was a supernatural light produced by God to lead them to the king. We know a little bit about their travel. Now look at the trouble that they caused in verse 2. These wise men unintentionally caused a little trouble in Jerusalem. In verse 2 it says, they enter into Jerusalem. And I want you to picture this because it'll kind of change your, your manger scene a little bit. It says, all right, it's all right. Do it how you want to do it. They walk into Jerusalem, into the area of Jerusalem, where the light has led them, and they start asking people, where is he that is born, this is a fun phrase, king of the Jews? For we've seen his star rising in the east, and they've come to worship him. The star had led them all the way to Jerusalem, where Obviously, we'll see it left them because they stopped following it, and now they start asking people. Now, the havoc that is wreaked in Jerusalem is probably not caused by just three men. Some people think that there were hundreds of people that were following this light. And imagine, even if it's just three, but just add a few more, 10 or 12 or 20 people walking around Jerusalem saying, hey, Where's the king of the Jews been born? Now, for you history majors, you understand they've already got a king. His name is Herod, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, also known as a guy that killed his favorite of nine wives and his children because his kingship was threatened. And now there's guys walking around town saying, hey, where's the king of the Jews been born? And word gets to King Herod, and he's not even a little bit happy. Herod is distressed. In verse 3, when he heard these things, he was troubled. It's a, a word for disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. He had been assigned, this is interesting to know about Herod. Herod had been assigned king of the Jews by the Romans, even though he was not a Jew himself. He was actually from the line of Esau, which really goes back to the struggle that has lasted for thousands of years at this point between Jacob and Esau and those who were born after them. And in Genesis chapter 49, we have a prophecy that the scepter shall not leave or depart from Judah. 
the only true king of the Jews had to be a Jew himself, and it was promised. Herod's upset. I'm the king of the Jews. Who are you talking about? And then, then he brings them in and brings his priest. This is interesting. Don't miss this. He makes a demand. In verse 4, he says to his chief priests and scribes, listen to this. I want you to put in perspective what happens here. The wise men have come into Jerusalem. They're following God's light, shining, letting them know the king of the Jews has been born. And Herod hears about it. He's upset. Who does he call in? He calls in the Jews, the chief priest and the scribes. He calls in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who knew the law. This is who he has working for him. And he asked them, I don't, don't miss how simple, but yet how profound this is. He calls them in and says, hey, tell me where he's supposed to be born. And they tell him. They quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2, to the king. The king is going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, because Micah told us that 750 years ago. Anybody find that interesting? They immediately knew the prophecies that had been told of the Messiah's birth. This light had led them to the area where the men of God supposedly knew he was going to be born. In their minds, it should have confirmed the prophecy that they knew but yet they rejected it. It would be a good time to go off on a tangent about the, the dangers of religion. And the reality is these men knew the law, but they chose to reject the Lord. And today, there's a lot of people, a lot of people who know the word of God, but don't know the God of the word. And it's been happening since the birth of Jesus that people knew Scripture. They've had it confirmed, but yet they continued to reject over and over. It's not new. They knew the prophecy. It's almost unfathomable that these men would be so well-versed in the law that it wouldn't, it wouldn't make some of them say, we're following along. We're going to tag along and go with you. But they don't. Herod's desire is to the wise men, hey, I want you to notice verse 7. That he asked them what time the star appeared. He didn't necessarily ask, hey, where exactly was it when you got here? He said, when did you see the star? When did the star appear? This will come into play with Herod's plan. When did the star appear? He wasn't so concerned about the place of his birth, but he was at this point concerned about the timeline because he's the enemy of God and he's devising a plan. He's devising a scheme. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search diligently for the child and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship 
him. Now we read this and know that he's not wanting to worship him because we know the rest of the story, but these guys didn't. These guys didn't know that he wanted to kill him. We see that in just a second. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, we see really Herod's plan and why he was asking when the star appeared. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked because the wise men didn't come forth, he got ticked off and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, killed all the babies, all the children in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof from two years old and under. Why two years old and under? According to the time which he had diligently inquired the wise men. They'd been traveling for quite a while. And he had deduced that within two years of age would be the timeline to kill every child within this two years. Now, if some of you want to go home and take your wise men away from your nativity scene and put them in the kitchen, <laughs> a couple years later, bring them closer. That's up to you. I told Pastor Barry the other night, I said, you know, we know this, but after, pre after preparing this week, we're going to have to build a house for that young baby in that last scene a few years later and have a little toddler running around. If we're going to do it right, don't want to lead anybody astray. So we notice their travel and then the trouble that they have now caused. And then verse 9 through 11, we see their treasures, what they're known for. They heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east reappeared, went before them. Now, that might, you might not believe me, but the King James says, lo, it appeared. It, it's a word there to say, oh, look what happened. It, it appeared again. And then it moved till it came and stood over where the young child was. They saw the star, they rejoiced. Why would they rejoice? Because they saw it again. It had left them. That's why they're walking around Jerusalem saying, where is he? And now it appears again and takes them directly to where Jesus is. When they came into the house, I know most of you know this. I'm not teaching you anything you don't already know, potentially. But you remember the reason they couldn't find room because there was being a census and everybody was coming into town and it was full well, now it's nearly two years later and people have left to go back home. But they didn't. So they were able to get into a place other than a cave with a manger. They come into the house and they saw now the young child, completely different word than baby, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. I'm not trying to do this to drum up anything. But this really happened. And there's really a mom, and there's really a dad, and there's really a, a less than two-year-old in a house. And Mary's had some things confirmed, like she did last, last week, when the shepherd showed up and she pondered all these things in her heart and kept them. And a year plus later, they're still there, probably not safe to travel with a, a one-year-old that far. And all of a sudden, these magi show up. They come into the house. Potentially more than three of them. 
And they walk in and they fall down and immediately begin to worship him. There's some, there's some teaching in this passage of scripture that may be worthwhile to you or not. They didn't come worship Mary. Matter of fact, even when Matthew, who is a Jew himself, writing to the Jewish nation, presenting Jesus as the Messiah, the King, even how he writes, he mentions the child first. It means something. Saw the young child, Mary his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures that they had brought. They presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This was not unusual for royalty to be given gifts. We see it in scripture, just one in 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of Sheba comes to Solomon and she brought unto him uh, a very, she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart. Later on in that chapter, it says the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. It wasn't unusual for visitors to visit royalty and bring gifts. But don't miss why they were bringing gifts. He was royalty. They were acknowledging that he was king. They might not have understood what we understand, that he's king of kings and lord of lords, but they understood him as royal. And they bring in these gifts, and we know the gifts, but don't miss the significance the song says, born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. They brought gold because he is king, because he is royal. Paul told Timothy, he is the blessed and only potentate, king of kings and lord of lords. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, one day he'll appear again, and he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When we think of the nativity and we think of Matthew 2 and Luke 2, Christian, we can't miss the reality that he is king. He came to be king. He came to be Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. I was studying this and this song kept going in my head and I said, I'm gonna look up the words. I want you to listen to this and don't miss it when we sing these songs. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and Crown him Lord of all. O yes. seed of Israel's chosen race, now ransom from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. 
Let every tongue and every tribe responsive to his call, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with all the sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. This is gonna sound kind of preachy. He didn't come just to be a baby. He came to be king. And he wants to be king and Lord of your life. Nothing less is suitable. King of kings. They presented him gold. They presented him frankincense. The song says, frankincense to offer have I, incense owns a deity nigh, Pray, prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. For the title, and the we three kings to get so messed up, they got the rest of their theology pretty good. <laughs> incense used during sacrificial offerings was the fragrance of life that lifted up to God that was a pleasing fragrance to God. He came to do the will of God of his father. Amen. Amen. The gold represents royalty and it represents his birth. Frankincense represents the, the incense of his life pleasing to God or represents his life. Remember when Jesus got lost? Well, he didn't get lost because he's Jesus. But his mom and dad lost him? That's a fun one. I'd like to preach a message on that and somehow make some kind of application. And Mary shows up frantic, probably ready to beat him. No, I don't know. What are you doing? Remember what Jesus said, even as a teenage boy, a young boy? Mom, I must be about my father's business. He came to do the will of his father. And now as a 33-year-old man, you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying to God, fulfilling the mission that he came to do. And he's praying and he's suffering and his sweat's turning into blood. And he's praying to God and he says, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. They give him frankincense, honoring him as God in the flesh. Honoring him as, as God's son coming to life to please the father. And then they give him myrrh. Myrrh is mine, it's bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb, is what the song says. Myrrh was a burial spice. It was used for anointing the dead. I don't know if that was normal, but I don't think it was, for a child to be acknowledged as king, brought in gifts, and here's some myrrh. I don't know that the wise man who gave that knew what he was doing. I don't think he laid it down and said, myrrh, because you will die for the sins of the world. But I do believe there was a God in heaven who is sovereign over all, who intricately put these things in place so that the world could know he is Christ, he is king, he is God, 
in the flesh. He came to please and do the will of the Father, and he will die. He was the only baby ever born to die. Yeah, it's Christmas. Yeah, we celebrate. Yeah, we're going to give gifts. And I hope some dad and some grandpa, somebody somewhere sits down and reads Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 2 with their family. And I hope every Christian, I mean this, every Christian that sees a gift doesn't just think of baby Jesus, but thinks and remembers he was born to die. That he who knew no sin, innocent God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, was raised and grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man, went to a cross and died willingly. That he who knew no sin became sin for me, for you, for the world, that we might be made his righteousness. Gift of myrrh. I got to pull out Isaiah 60. You might like this, you might not. I referred to it already, but I, I learned something this week. In Isaiah 60, the messianic prophecies of Isaiah also prophesy a second coming. But I want you to look at Isaiah 60, verse 6. The multitude of camels came, uh, shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. It's the second coming. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. Am I miss, miss one? Am I miss a gift? He won't die again. They came as king, royalty, gold, and God in the flesh. But he won't ever be worshipped again with myrrh. Because he's alive and alive forevermore. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, I didn't read it, but these guys were warned of God. Don't go back and tell Herod. They go a different way. The Bible says they departed into their own country another way. Imagine the testimony of these wise men once they returned to their Gentile country or country. Some believe they were from different places. Imagine how they knew from the prophecies something was up. They make the connection. Imagine that God used a pagan, mystical, weird religion to lead a Gentile nation or nations to him. Imagine them going back, telling everybody what they saw, and how they knew about it. Imagine the testimony to the Gentiles. Now Gentile prophecy is being fulfilled that God brought the Gentiles to him. And they go back sharing what they had seen. Today the question is this. Have you personally acknowledged him as king? Christmas is just a holiday that you spend a lot of money on. 
unless he's king and Lord of your life. Still going to spend money. Still might be broke at the end of it. But it's just a season unless he's Lord and king of your life. I don't want to put words in God's mouth and I don't want to say something kind of off, off topic. But what a waste it is to celebrate and spend money and eat and get fat and miss the reason why we celebrate. At least if you're going to get fat and spend money, be saved doing it. How about that? Know why you're doing it. Is he king? Is he Lord? Do you accept him, who he is, as God in the flesh, God himself, pleasing to God, doing the will of his father? And if you acknowledge his sacrificial death, in your place, in my place, would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word that is so clear. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit that teaches us. God, I pray right now if there's a person here, maybe they knew this passage. Maybe they've read it. Maybe they've sung the song. But it's never been an actuality in their life that they've acknowledged your son Jesus as king. King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe there's someone here who's been through the motions. They, they know the story, but they've never acknowledged you as the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world by Jesus' death on the cross. And maybe this passage and these gifts and the reminder of your sovereignty and your providence and the power of the Holy Spirit has convicted their heart. Maybe for the first time they have read this passage or heard this passage not as just a narration of a Christmas play, but as a real event that happened because you love the world. Because while we were sinners, you demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus. Yes, born as a baby. Growing as a man. Dying as a sacrifice for us. And maybe today's the day they make you Lord of their life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we sing? If that's you and you're here today. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.